Section Zero of Aucassin and Nicolette. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Aucassin and Nicolette, translated by Andrew Lang. Introduction and Ballades. Aucassin and Nicolette dedicated to the honorable james russell lowell introduction there is nothing in artistic poetry quite akin to aucassin and nicolette by a rare piece of good fortune the one manuscript of the song story has escaped those waves of time which have wrecked the bark of menander and left of sappho but a few floating fragments the very form of the tale is peculiar we have nothing else from the twelfth or thirteenth century in the alternate prose and verse of the Kant fable. We have fabliaux in verse and prose Arthurian romances. We have chansons de geste, heroic poems like Roland, unrhymed assonant less, but we have not the alternations of prose with less in seven-syllabled lines it cannot be certainly known whether the form of aucassin and nicolette was a familiar form used by many jogleors or wandering minstrels and story-tellers such as nicolette in the tale feigned herself to be or whether this is a solitary experiment by the old captive its author a contemporary as m gaston paris thinks him of louis the seventh eleven thirty he was original enough to have invented or adopted from popular tradition a form for himself his originality declares itself everywhere in his one surviving masterpiece true he uses certain traditional formulae that have survived in his time as they survived in homer's from the manner of purely popular poetry of folk's leader thus he repeats snatches of conversation always in the same or very nearly the same words he has a stereotyped form like homer for saying that one person addressed another antres au vicomte de la ville silapella ton d'apage bomenos prosefe like homer and like popular song he deals in recurrent epithets and changeless courtesies to Aucassin, the hideous ploughman, is bien frère, fair brother, just as the treacherous Aegisthus is a mumon in Homer. These are complimentary terms, with no moral sense in particular. The joglior is not more curious than Homer, or than the poets of the old ballads, about giving novel descriptions of his characters. As Homer's ladies are fair-tressed, so Nicolette and Aucassin have, each of them, close yellow curls, eyes of there, whatever that may mean, and red lips. War cannot be mentioned except as war where knights do smite and are smitten, and so forth. The author is absolutely conventional in such matters, according to the convention of his age and profession nor is his matter more original. He tells a story of thwarted and finally fortunate love, 
and his hero is a christened knight, like Tamlane, his heroine a Paynim lady. To be sure, Nicolette was baptized before the tale begins, and it is she who is a captive among Christians, not her lover, as usual, who is a captive among Saracens. The author has reversed the common arrangement, and he appears to have cared little more than his reckless hero, about creeds and differences of faith. He is not much interested in the recognition of Nicolette by her great Paynim kindred, nor indeed in any of the business of the narrative, the fighting, the storms and tempests, and the burlesque of the kingdom of Toilor. What the nameless author does care for is his telling of the love story, the passion of Aucassin and Nicolette. His originality lies in his charming medley of sentiment and humor, of a smiling compassion and sympathy with a touch of mocking mirth. The love of Aucassin and Nicolette, the grand pain qu'il souffre, that is the one thing serious to him in the whole matter, and that is not so very serious. The storyteller is no Mimnermus. Love and youth are the best things he knew, de port de vieille caitif, and now he has come to forty years, and now they are with him no longer. But he does not lament like Mimnermus, like Alcman, like Chiachhen. What is life, what is delight, without golden Aphrodite? May I die, says Mimnermus, when I am no more conversant with these, with secret love and gracious gifts, and the bed of desire. And Alcman, when his limbs waver beneath him, is only saddened by the faces and voices of girls, and would change his lot for the sea-birds. Maidens with voices like honey for sweetness that breathe desire, would that I were a sea-bird with limbs that never could tire, over the foam-flowers flying with halcyons ever on wing, keeping a careless heart, a sea-blue bird of the spring. But our old captive, having said farewell to love, has yet a kindly smiling interest in its fever and folly. Nothing better has he met, even now that he knows a lad is an ass. He tells a love story, a story of love overmastering, without conscience or care of aught but the beloved. And the vieille caitif tells it with sympathy and with a smile. O oh, folly of fondness, he seems to cry, O oh, merry days of desolation! When I was young, as you are young, when lutes were touched and songs were sung, and love-lamps in the windows hung. It is the very tone of Thackeray, when Thackeray is tender. And the world heard it first from this elderly, nameless minstrel, strolling with his viol and his singing boys, perhaps, like a blameless Dasusi, from castle to castle in the happy poplar land. One seems to see him and hear him in the twilight, in the court of some chateau of Picardy, while the ladies on silken cushions sit around him listening, and their lovers, fettered with silver chains, lie at their feet. They listen and look, and do not think of the minstrel with his gray head and his green heart, but we think of him. It is an old man's work and a weary man's work. You can easily tell the places where he has lingered and been pleased as he wrote. 
they are marked like the bower nicolette built with flowers and broken branches wet with dew such a passage is the description of nicolette at her window in the strangely painted chamber qui fait des pargrands de vis peinturés à miramis thence she saw the roses blow heard the birds sing loud and low again the minstrel speaks out what many must have thought in those incredulous ages of faith about heaven and hell hell where the gallant company makes up for everything when he comes to a battle-piece he makes aucassin mightily and knightly hurl through the press like one of mallory's men his hero must be a man of his hands no mere sighing youth incapable of arms but the minstrel's heart is in other things for example in the verses where aucassin transfers to beauty the wonder-working powers of holiness and makes the sight of his lady heal the palmer as the shadow of the apostle falling on the sick people healed them by the gate beautiful the flight of nicolette is a familiar and beautiful picture the daisy flowers look black in the ivory moonlight against her feet fair as bambica's feet of carven ivory in the sicilian idol long ago it is characteristic of the poet that the two lovers begin to wrangle about which loves best in the very mouth of danger while aucassin is yet in prison and the patrol go down the moonlit street with swords in their hands sworn to slay nicolette that is the place and time chosen for this ancient controversy aucassin's threat that if he loses nicolette he will not wait for sword or knife but will dash his head against a wall is in the very temper of the prisoned warrior poet who actually chose this way of death then the night scene with its fantasy and shadow and moonlight on flowers and street yields to a picture of the day with the birds singing and the shepherds laughing in the green links between wood and water there the shepherds take nicolette for a fairy so bright a beauty shines about her their mockery their independence may make us consider again our ideas of early feudalism probably they were in the service of townsmen whose good town treated the count as no more than an equal of its corporate dignity the bower of branches built by nicolette is certainly one of the places where the minstrel himself has rested and been pleased with his work one can feel it still the cool of that clear summer night the sweet smell of broken boughs and trodden grass and deep dew and the shining of the star that aucassin deemed was the translated spirit of his lady romance has touched the book here with her magic as she has touched the lines where we read how consuelo came by moonlight to the canon's garden and the white flowers the pleasure here is the keener for contrast with the luckless hind whom aucassin encountered in the forest the man who had lost his master's ox the ungainly man who wept because his mother's bed had been taken from under her to pay his debt this man was in that estate which achilles in hades preferred above the kingship of the dead outworn he was hind and hireling to a villain 
Andri par aclero. It is an unexpected touch of pity for the people and for other than love sorrows in a poem intended for the great and courtly people of chivalry. At last the lovers meet in the lodge of flowers beneath the stars. Here the story should end, though one could ill spare the pretty lecture the girl reads her lover as they ride at adventure, and the picture of Nicolette with her brown stain and Joglior's attire and her viol playing before Aucassin in his own castle of Bilcaire. The burlesque interlude of the country of Torilor is like a page out of Rabelais, stitched into the Cante Fable by mistake. At such lands as Torilor, Pantagruel, and Panurge, touched many a time in their vague voyaging. Nobody, perhaps, can care very much about Nicolette's adventures in Carthage, and her recognition by her Paynim kindred. If the old captive had been a prisoner among the Saracens, he was too indolent or incurious to make use of his knowledge. He hurries on to his journey's end. Journey's end in lovers' meeting. So he finishes the tale. What lives in it, what makes it live, is the touch of poetry, of tender heart, of humorous resignation. The old captive says the story will gladden sad men. Nous hommes ne si ébahis, tant dolent ni entreprise, de grand mal à maladies, si il ne soit garise, et de joie rebaudise, tant par et douce. This service it did for M. Bida, the painter, as he tells us when he translated Aucassin in 1870. In dark and darkening days, patriae tempore iniquo, we too have turned to Aucassin et Nicolette. Ballade of Aucassin Where smooth the southern waters run through rustling leagues of poplars gray, beneath a veiled soft southern sun, we wandered out of yesterday went maying in that ancient may whose fallen flowers are fragrant yet and lingered by the fountain spray with aucassin and nicolette the grass-grown paths are trod of none where through the woods they went astray the spider's traceries are spun across the darkling forest way there come no knights that ride to slay no pilgrims through the grasses wet no shepherd lads that sang their say with Aucassin and Nicolette. Twas here by Nicolette begun her lodge of boughs and blossoms gay, scaped from the cell of marble dun. Twas here the lover found the fay. O lovers fond, O foolish play, how hard we find it to forget, who fain would dwell with them as they, with Aucassin and Nicolette. Envoy. Prince, tis a melancholy lay, for youth, for life we both regret. How fair they seem, how far away, with Aucassin and Nicolette. A. L. Ballade of Nicolette. All bathed in pearl and amber light, she rose to fling the lattice wide, and leaned into the fragrant night, 
where brown birds sang of summertide twas love's own voice that called and cried ah sweet she said i'll seek thee yet though thorniest pathways should betide the fair white feet of nicolette they slept who would have stayed her flight full fain were they the maid had died she dropped adown her prison's height on strands of linen featly tied and so she passed the garden side with loose-leaved roses sweetly set and dainty daisies dark beside the fair white feet of nicolette her lover lay in evil plight so many lovers yet abide i would my tongue could praise aright her name that should be glorified those lovers now whom foes divide a little weep and soon forget how far from these faint lovers glide the fair white feet of nicolette envoy my princess doff thy frozen pride nor scorn to pay love's golden debt through his dim woodland take for guide the fair white feet of nicolette graham r thompson end of section zero of aucassin and nicolette recording by leonard wilson of springfield ohio